Are you a follower of Jesus Christ who's done being quiet? Are you ready to tell the world whose you are, totally, fearlessly, and unapologetically? And are you ready to smash that imaginary wall that supposedly divides your career and faith life? Welcome to the C-Suite for Christ podcast, where we talk about living as a disciple of Christ in the world of work. Before we get to the content we have in store for you today, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Let me tell you about Christian Community Credit Union's new Cash Rewards Visa credit card. It has many of the perks you'd expect with typical reward cards. Unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase, plus a $200 bonus when you spend $750 in the first three months. But what makes this Cash Rewards Visa different from typical credit cards is that when you use it, you're also giving back to Christian charities. As a nonprofit, revenue generated by using the card goes to building and expanding churches, spreading the good news of Jesus to remote areas, providing disaster relief, giving hope to vulnerable children, ending modern slavery and human trafficking, and so much more. To learn more about Christian Community Credit Union's world-class cash rewards visa, please visit myccu.com slash c-suite. Again, that's myccu.com slash c-suite. Proud to announce that a new group of Christian executives started meeting on Wednesday, June 7th, and this group is looking for additional members. Be the first and only from your industry to join the group. To learn more, visit fuelingsales.com and click on the Nehemiah Groups tab. So to kind of get this going, what I what I want to do, and if you guys have listened to any of the content that I produce, like Eric said, I am a content producer, and sometimes I'm going, why did I want to do this? I've got two television shows, we've got a radio show, we've got a podcast, we've got social media. That's not to say, hey, look at me, but that's like 10 hours of content every single week. It's a lot. But one of the things that I that I talk about on a pretty regular basis are my children. I wear a lot of hats. I wear a hat of executive, I wear a hat of husband, I wear a hat of father and son and everything else. And being a father is my absolute favorite hat to wear. So this picture that I have up here, these are my three kiddos. So on the left, yes, you're going to have to excuse my sons. They're Chiefs fans and Vikings fans. I think I need to take a parent. Yeah, there it is. Good. I think I need to take a parenting class. I don't know where I failed. But anyway, so, so you got Hudson uh, in the blue shirt. He's my eight-year-old. You've got Kennedy as my 10-year-old. And then my baby girl, Reagan, is six. So one of the things that I, uh, I really love about where my kids are in this stage of their life, for the most part, they get along. They genuinely want to be around each other. They genuinely like to play with each other. We really didn't even have to say, hey, guys, act like you like each other, because they really do. But... From time to time, like any child, like any sibling, like any young person, there's times where they just don't get along. And it was a recent episode of this that, that got me thinking about one aspect of their relationship. So one thing you'll notice about Hudson, 
So Kennedy is two years older, but Hudson is like 60 pounds heavier and a foot taller. I mean, this kid's gonna be an offensive tackle in the NFL. That is my retirement strategy right there. He, this kid's a bruiser. Um, Kennedy is a little bit more like me. I, I, I like to tell people Kennedy is gonna be the leader of SEAL Team 6 someday. He's just, he, he, if you tell him A, he's gonna go B. He likes to try new things. He's the first to do things. Hudson is like the gentle giant. It takes a lot to get him angry. Otherwise, he goes along to get along. So a couple weeks ago, Kennedy and Hudson, it's iPad time, and they're, they're playing a baseball game. I don't know all the details because I haven't played a video game since I was like 11. But they're, they're playing this baseball game. Kennedy likes to trash talk. He, he's like the, the, the Larry Bird or the Charles Barkley of iPads. Just, hey, you know I'm going to score, right? Hey, you know where this ball is going? This ball is going over the wall. Hudson, how'd you let that ball go through your legs? What's your problem? I mean, he's just trash talking. He's just jawboning. And after a while, Hudson's like, stop. Why? Can't handle it? Hey, don't forget to change your diaper. <laughs> stop. Uh, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to cry? Are you going to go to dad? I'm telling you, stop. You think Kennedy stopped? Nope. Next thing he knows, bam, right from the side, right from the side. And I've been kicked by Hudson. That's like getting kicked by like a mule. He is a big, big kid. Kennedy starts crying. He's in pain. He looks for me right away and he got hit pretty hard. I'm not happy that Hudson hit him, obviously. What happened? Oh, Hudson hit me. I don't know why. He just, just chopped me run right in the face. Would you ground him, slap him, do something? So I go down there and, you know, I'm not always Mr. Calm and diplomatic, especially when your kids are getting physically hurt. And I say, Kennedy, what happened? Oh, Hudson just hit me out of the blue. I don't know why he did, he just hit me. Hudson, is this true? No. Hudson, what happened? Well, at first he said this, and then he did this, and then he did this, and then I warned him, and then he did this, and then pow. What I took out of that, now one, again, I, I don't want Hudson to react that way. I'm not condoning that. Hector, I might have to have you coach him from a boxing perspective, because this kid's got some power, I'll tell you that. But what I did is I, I was a little disappointed from Kennedy's perspective here, because Kennedy did not take any accountability for that, none. Kennedy never owned that he was trash talking. Kennedy never owned that he was warned. Kennedy never owned the fact that he was violating his brother's borders. Kennedy never took any kind of accountability whatsoever. And at one point I said, dude, what did you expect was gonna happen? It's kind of a good lesson, but I was disappointed that Kennedy had no accountability there. And for me, it gets me thinking about that term of accountability. It's, it's a word that I don't think, even if I tried to, I mean, could you find a negative connotation for the word accountability? I mean, we love it when people have accountability. We love it when we're accountable. We love it when our employees are accountable. We love it when our politicians are accountable. Accountable, accountable, accountable. But I think you would all agree that accountability is an exceedingly rare supply in society today. There's a couple of different classifications of accountability as I see it. The first slide here, I look at it as personal accountability. So are we accountable in our personal lives? Are we accountable to our spouses? Are we accountable to our children? Are we accountable for the relationships that we have in everyday life? How many times have we told our spouse, I'll do it, and we don't? But yet we always usually have an excuse. Ah, sorry, I got busy. Sorry, something came up. Yeah, it was traffic. Just on an interpersonal level, that lack of accountability can hurt our relationships, it can make people trust us less, and it just can harm the 
camaraderie that we want with other people in our lives. There's a lack of personal accountability. We've all been there, and some people have it more than others. The next slide, we talk about professional accountability or lack thereof. How many times have you been a part of an organization where your coworkers are not being accountable to you or accountable to the team? Where, hey, okay, I'll, I'll do that part of the project. Six weeks go by, hey, where's that project? Ah, man, it's I had vacation and all those things and Oprah and everything else. Yeah, I didn't get to it. What? What are you talking? Great. You know, everybody has an excuse, an excuse for why the project didn't get done, an excuse for why sales quotas aren't met, an excuse for why the organization isn't moving in the right direction. If you have an organization that lacks professional accountability, is that gonna be a thriving culture? Is that gonna be one where everybody wants to work? Is that gonna be one where you maintain clients and a lot of good things get done? No, but there is a lot of, there's a dearth of professional accountability. The last one I would say, on the next slide is, you know, so you've got the personal accountability, being accountable to the personal relationships that you have in your life. You've got the professional accountability, being accountable to the people in your office. What if you're a single person with no kids and you work from home and you're a solo entrepreneur? You got none of this kind of stuff. There's accountability to yourself, mental accountability. And that can be a dangerous slope if you start making excuses for things. Well, it's, it's because this certain politician is in office, that's why I didn't get it done. Ah, it's because inflation is real high. Ah, it's because I had a bad upbringing. Ah, it's because nobody's looking out for me. What does that start to do to your mind? You start to become a victim. Is, is that living the kind of life that takes advantage of your God-given talents and abilities? To some degree, you start looking at us versus them. It's this demographic. It's this type of people. It's Wall Street. It's... Antifa, it's whatever, it, it, it's all of this us versus them. Your mind gets polluted with this if we can't at least take accountability for ourselves and our actions. And I think there's, there's really four big things that come out of a lack of accountability. I, again, I think some of these are, are pretty self-evident, but one, you talk about strained relationships. Who wants to be a friend with somebody that never holds themselves accountable? Who wants to associate with any person that always has an excuse, that always has a reason, that never can look themselves in the mirror and say, maybe I'm the problem? If we don't take accountability for who we are, for whose we are, and for the actions that we should be taking, we're going to have very low-quality, toxic relationships. Nobody wants that. <laughs> to continue that, you, you just talk about who we are as people. If we don't have accountability in our life, that is totally going to stunt our growth. And I think when we look back on our lives, personally or professionally, speaking only for myself, I have grown by leaps and bounds when I failed. I have grown by leaps and bounds when I've gone outside of my comfort zone. I've grown by leaps and bounds when I said, you know what, I'm gonna take on this challenge, I'm gonna own this challenge, and I'm gonna internalize this challenge. Some people never leave those cozy confines of their comfort zone. And when you're always blaming someone or something else, that stunts your growth as an individual and a professional. I think to some degree too, it'll impact your worldview. This society of ours is a mess, is it not? And a lot of the time it's just, well, it's their fault. Well, it's their issue. That's why I vote this way, or that's why I don't trust this group or this type of people. If we can't take accountability for our role of our household, of our business, of society, it starts to impact our worldview, and we start to get this us versus them. These are the good guys, these are the bad guys. These are the people 
that share my ideology, these are the people that don't. And I think the last thing that we don't think about a lot, but if we don't take accountability in our life or we don't make accountability a priority, not only does that hurt our life, we bring others down. What do you think my kids are gonna see if I always blame their mother? What do you think my kids are gonna think if I always blame a politician, if I always blame a, cast, uh, a classification of person, if I always blame someone else? You bring your families down, you bring your coworkers down, you bring the young people down, and it's all this very vicious cycle if only we would have accountability. So what I find really striking is we all value accountability. We all want accountability. We all seek out accountability. We cherish people that have it. But one, that is also a part of our lives that can be lacking from time to time, but not only can accountability be lacking, we talk about personal, professional, maybe mental accountability. You know one thing we never, next to never talk about? One of the things we next to never really put on a pedestal? Spiritual accountability. And I would say if there's personal accountability, if, if, the, if that doesn't go well, it might hurt our relationships. That sucks, but it's not the end of the world. Professional accountability. We might lose a client or two. That sucks, but it's not the end of the world. Mental accountability. I have a different worldview. Again, that's unfortunate, but it's not the end of the world. What if we are not accountable to God? The stakes on that could be the end of the world. If we're not accountable to our Heavenly Father, we may not get to heaven. If we are not accountable to what it says in Scripture, we may not cover the world in Christ. If we're not accountable to what God says and what God wants us to do and what God is putting on our lives, there's a lot of souls that God has put in your life that might not be saved. Are your kids going to go to heaven? Are your neighbors going to go to heaven? Are your coworkers going to go to... Paul, that's not my responsibility. If that's your response, that's the problem. We are accountable for these things. So one of the things that I want to show up on here... So the, the next slide, keep it there. That, that's exactly where we want to be. So... One of the issues that I would say when it comes to all of this, and again, I, I think I'm preaching to the choir here, but how many of you by a show of hands are extremely ecstatic by the state of society today? Not only are there no hands, people are sitting on them and laughing. And again, we could laugh, but really it, it, it's no laughing matter. I mean, when you look back two years ago to now, the things we're talking about now, the things that are issues now, the things certain politicians are pushing now compared to two years ago, we'd have thought we're nuts. There are so many issues in society today being brought by different people, being brought by different organizations, being brought by different entities. But despite all of these things, I truly believe, and if I'm wrong, boo and hiss, okay? But I truly believe the common denominator is the removal of God from society. Remember just a couple of decades ago? Gosh, you could pray in a public school. You go to a courtroom, there's the Ten Commandments. You, you go to a sporting event, let, let's have a word of prayer. Now if a coach 
goes to the 50-yard line by himself after a game, and he bows down in a word of prayer, he faces a lawsuit? The heck is going on here in society today? It's because God is being systematically removed from all of these areas. Can't talk about God in the public school system. That'd be a big no-no. You can't mention God in a political speech. That could be a big no-no. You can support all of these other lifestyles or causes. We just got out of the month of June. A lot of organizations celebrated Gay Pride Month. Black History Month wasn't too long ago, saw a lot of Black Lives Matter stuff. But what about somebody that might want to say, hey, I want to put a crucifix in my office. Can't do that. Why not? God is being systematically removed, and not only is he being systematically removed, it is happening at a rapid acceleration. It's crazy how fast it's going. It's open season on Christians here to some regard. And I think one of the things, if we want to really be honest about it, if, and I'm not, this is a rhetorical question, but if I were to say, who's to blame for this? We would probably all have an answer, right? So a, a couple of, of different thoughts that I would have. So I, I jotted a couple, but again, th there's a lot with respect to that. So one, maybe we'd blame atheists. It's their fault. They don't believe in God. It's their fault. They're, they're telling other people that God doesn't exist. They're proactively pushing against my faith. You may have seen this four or five months ago. In Boston, they had SatanCon. You see that? Did you look at some of those pictures? Wow. I mean, masks and black lipstick, and there was something where people were smashing crucifixes. But maybe we'll blame the atheists. It's, it's, it's their fault society is in this mess. Absolutely. Maybe we'll blame the mainstream media. You know, well, it's, they have an agenda, and they're the ones that are covering this up. You know, maybe any case of anti-Semitism, it's on the news. Any case of a white cop killing a black person, it's on the news. They still haven't released the manifesto of the Christian school killing months ago. There's, there's pastors in Africa, in Iraq, in North Korea that are being tortured and beheaded every day. But you wouldn't know that. And of course, if I say it, oh, come on. So maybe we blame the mainstream media. You know, they're, they're, they're waging a war on Christianity. Maybe we'll blame politicians. You know, uh, politicians that maybe are, aren't as favorable to religious liberty, uh, politicians that'll say everything. You know, we're going to celebrate this group and this group and this classification, but Christians, nah. You guys are a bunch of racist bigots. We're not going to talk about you. Maybe we'll talk about uh, woke corporations. You've seen a lot of that in the news recently, right? Bud Light is still uh, reeling from what took place. Target's been in the news lately. Uh, Disney's had their fair share of problems. It's good to see Christians standing up. But there's a lot of corporations out there that, that have a certain agenda. Well, what about uh, squishy pastors? Or what about squishy churches? There's a number of churches that don't stand for biblical values. That say this is open for interpretation. All we care about are butts in the seats and money in the collection plate. Everything else doesn't really matter. You, you, you've got some churches doing drag shows. I'm not saying all this stuff to divide us. I'm not saying all this stuff to make you go, well, Paul, geez, you're really intolerant. I'm saying this because, next slide, we are very, very good at doing this. It is those atheists, that's the problem. It is CNN, that's the problem. It is that woke church, it is that Disney corporation putting those things in there. It is this politic. I mean, we, we do this all day, every day, and if I wasn't in such robust shape, I'd probably tear a rotator cuff doing this. 
That's what we do. That's what we do. We complain about people. We point the finger. We say that's where the blame is. That is the absolute opposite of spiritual accountability. And this is one of the things that I want for C-Suite for Christ more than anything else. Rather than us pointing our finger, I want us to look in the mirror. Because we are not taking spiritual accountability when we point, because this is not going to make me overly popular. But I don't want to, you know, get anybody mad at me. But I got an audience of one. At the end of the day, it's primarily our fault we're in this mess. And I think the sooner we acknowledge that, the sooner we internalize that, and the sooner we understand it, the sooner we can start fixing this problem. The other thing I really like about this ministry is, and I say this a lot on the radio show in particular, at C-Suite for Christ, we do not put stock in the human word. Paul said it, therefore it must be true. Said no one ever. Eric said it. Vilson said it. Al said it. I mean, we're all messengers. We should listen to each other. But we don't put stock in the human word. We put stock in the holy word. If it's not in Scripture, we're not going to talk about it. If it's not out of the mouth of God, we're not going to talk about it. What I'm telling you today is become my life verse. We'll put it up on the screen here. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. This is the accountability verse, and I want to break this down here a little bit. Romans 10, verses 14 through 15. I'll read it, and then let's, let's start breaking it down. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's my prayer that over the next few minutes, not only from us, maybe you've heard this verse before, maybe this is the first time you've been exposed to this verse, every day I read this, every day I meditate on this, every day I obsess about this verse, because in all of Scripture, I think this is the one that forces us to look in the mirror more than anything else. Let's break it down using an example. I gave a number of different examples about who we might point our fingers at. Let's just pick atheists, because that sounds like a fun group to use as an example. So atheists, okay. So, so, so let, let, let's, let's go back to that example of Satan Khan. We're horrified. We, we, maybe we go to Boston to to counter-protest. Jesus loves you. Hey, come on, you don't have to live a lifestyle like this. Let's use them as an example. So we go there. It's their fault. Look at this disgusting display, smashing crucifixes and, you know, wearing goat horns and, and, and all these other occult-type things. It's your fault. It's your problem. You're the reason why society is in a mess. And then we open up the Scripture. Nope, nope, go back, go back. Sorry. I was just pointing to this. How, 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 so let's go back to this. It's your fault that you don't believe. Let's go to the first line. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? If somebody has never believed in God, they're likely not just going to spontaneously wake up and start believing in God. So one of the first things that we should do, again, we don't necessarily love the sin, but the first thing that we need to do is we need to recognize and have a little empathy. Rather than, and I, I, I got to admit, I get angry quick. Maybe that's a surprise to some of you. <laughs> that's something I'm working on. 
And when I see something like that, I just, I get mad. Well, maybe rather than getting mad, maybe I should seek to understand. So as opposed to pointing a finger, well, why have they never believed in this before? Let's keep going. And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? Rather than going, you guys are part of the problem, why don't I stop and ask myself a question? Has anybody ever talked to them about Jesus? Maybe they've never had an adult in their life that, that invested in them, that cared about them, that put their arm around them and said, son, daughter, let me tell you about Jesus Christ and why a relationship with him is so important. How can I blame this person if nobody ever took the time to tell them, if nobody ever took them to church, if nobody ever invested in their spiritual growth? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Did anybody ever preach to this person? Did they ever attend a church service? Did they ever go to a Catholic or a Christian school or university? Did they ever go to a Bible camp? And if the answer is no, 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 how can I get mad at somebody that has never had an experience like that? And lastly, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Here's the thing. We're all sent. Paul, I don't remember receiving that text message from God telling me that. Paul, I don't remember signing off on a contract saying I was willing to do that. Paul, I don't remember getting a job description that said that. Here's the thing. To whom much is given, much is expected. And I think everybody knows this, but one of the worldviews that I've had to have, and I get this on LinkedIn all the time, and that's why I appreciate, Eric, you, you doing the sharing. I, I know Diane does a lot of sharing. A lot of people in this room are really, whether it's my stuff or you're doing your own, it doesn't really matter. But one of the constant criticisms I get, and I get dinged every day. You should see the hate I get every day. But one of the things that I get dinged with, and I understand because a lot of people fall into this verse. If there was a God, why do bad things happen to good people? If there was a God, why would my wife have cancer? If there was a God, why did I lose my kid? If there was a God, why do you see poor, starving children in Africa? You get questions like that. But one of the things that, that I like to tell people, next to nobody has ever heard of original sin. Are we familiar with that concept for the most part? Again, God created us to live alongside him in paradise. The Garden of Eden, that was going to be life. What happened? Adam and Eve, the, the tree of uh, knowledge. I'm going to eat that apple. Oops. Kicked out of the kicked out of the garden our default destination is hell that's not the most cheerful thing to talk about but it's totally true it only it's only because god loves us so much and he recognized that my plan for creation was broken and i don't want that for my cherished kids what did he do john 3 16 he gave us his only begotten son to die a horrific death so jesus's blood could wash away our sins if only we believe but that comes with a bit of a trade-off. We need to believe, and we need to honor God's commandments. And one of God's commandments is what? Maybe not the Ten Commandments, but when he ascended into heaven, he told his followers, go into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's called the Great Commission. It ain't the great suggestion. It ain't the great recommendation. 
It's get out in the world and do that. That is the firm foundation upon which we stand at C-Suite for Christ. We are all sent. When I see those atheists, I have to look in the mirror and own myself. What did I do to talk to these people? And if I've never seen them or I've never heard of them or I've never encountered them, you know, I, I can't beat myself up necessarily, but they're here now. Should I point the finger? Should I yell? Should I scream? Should I get angry? Or should I ask them, how can I pray for you today? I might get mocked. I might get yelled at. I might get spit on. But Jesus faced far worse, didn't he? We are accountable to the state of society today. And can you imagine if all of us took that accountability a bit more seriously? See a lost kid rather than driving by. Maybe I should talk to him. See a poor beggar on the street rather than just get a job, bum. Maybe we can talk to him. What can we do to increase that overall level of spiritual accountability? Because if everybody in this room just does one more thing or takes this a bit more seriously, we're going to cover the world in Christ in no time. So to wrap up, I've got a couple of steps here that I wanted to put on. So eight things. Um, try not to read too far ahead. I'll, I'll kind of take these one by one. But again, I, I'm a busted, broken, disgusting sinner myself. And if somebody were to ask me, Paul, who's the biggest sinner you know? I would point myself right in the mirror. So I, I'm no more knowledgeable than anybody else. I'm no more talented than anybody else. But I will say one thing that I've done through C-Suite for Christ, through my interactions with people, especially over the last year or so, is I've definitely tried to up my game from spiritual accountability. And knowing I was going to say this today, I just decided to sit down and say, well, what are eight things that I try to do every day? What are eight things that could allow us to be a little bit more spiritually accountable? And I just wanted to end by sharing these. So number one, you should ask for accountability. And what I mean is that there's two parts to that. One, I don't know how you pray, but I used to do prayer all wrong. And some of you might say, how do you screw up prayer? Are you an idiot? Well, well, again, I used to, years ago, I used to look at prayer as God was a gumball machine or a genie in a bottle. Hey, God, it's, it's me again. I want this, 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 this. Thanks. Bye. And then I was always mad when I didn't get what I wanted. My plan, God's plan, I got a little bit more spiritually mature. Then I started to realize that prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. How many friends would you keep if you went out for lunch with them and all they did for 60 minutes was talk? and never ask about you, or never check in with you. You would never be their friend. Jesus wants to be your friend. Dialogue. Ask questions. Invite him in. And then the third thing about prayer, too, is if you're going to ask Jesus questions, if it's going to be a dialogue, what do you want from me? Where should I go? What should I do? you got to find time to listen. Jesus speaks in a whisper, not a roar. It's in Scripture. How are you going to hear the whisper if you're running all over the place, if it's go, 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 if you're never taking time to actually listen. So what I would say is in your prayer life with God, ask him to hold you accountable. God, hold me accountable for defending you. God, hold me accountable for living my life for you. God, give me opportunities to tell others about you. But not only spiritual accountability, I think it also helps to have human accountability which again is another reason why i love this ministry look around everybody here is not here because they have nothing to do everybody here is not here because they're bored out of their mind people are here because they value fellowship and because they love you
Your last name is Rue. Your last name is Moon. Your last name is Junio, Cologne, Newberger. But you're my brother in Christ. You're my sister in Christ. And I love you guys for that. Ask for humanly accountability. Hey, can we check in every couple of weeks? Hey, these are one or two of the things that I struggle with. Would you mind coming alongside me? Ask for it. Number two, define what accountability looks like. Uh, before C-Suite for Christ really took off, and I still do some of this, but before C-Suite for Christ really took off, I did a lot of uh, sales training, leadership development, that kind of thing. And what I found is a lot of these salespeople, a lot of these executives all wanted the same thing. I want success. I want to do well. I want to grow. I want to achieve. That's good. What does success look like? And very few people could define it. I want to get better at this particular skill in this amount of time, and these are the steps that I'm going to take to do it. If you want to be more spiritually accountable, how? Define it. What does that look like? Now, we're all different. We're all in the same family, but not everybody in the room is like me. Thank gosh. I'm about as fearless and bold as you're going to find. I'll walk into a Starbucks. Good morning, everybody. Ain't Jesus awesome? Not everybody's at that level, and that's good, that's cool. So for me, success might be, I want to do five 60-minute speeches to a group of atheists. You guys, whoa, let me slow down a little bit there. Maybe success for you is one social media post a week. Maybe success for you is when you're at a restaurant, and the waitress or the waiter comes over and says, here's your bill, sir, anything else? Yeah. How can I pray for you today? What does accountability look like for you? Tell God and tell your accountability partner. Three, be vulnerable and share your story. One of the things that I've tried, and again, this ministry is, I'm, I'm just the guy leading it. I'm, I'm not all that important. But one of the things that I really want to, to do with C-Suite for Christ, and I, I think we're, we're doing a nice job with that, I don't want this to be comfortable Christianity. I don't want this to be cozy Christianity. Because in my humble opinion, if you're doing Christianity right, there should be nothing comfortable about it. We're called to go into the darkness. We're called to witness to all believers. We're called to not be doormats and to push back against a secular society. That means we might get canceled. That means we might get yelled at. That means we might lose some friends. That means our family might not invite us over for Thanksgiving one year. I don't know, but we gotta be ready to do that. If you're going to be accountable to God, you need to be vulnerable. And that was always a hard thing for me because my, my struggles with mental health have been well documented. I've, I've tried to share that as much as possible because I think there's a really unfair stigma when it comes to mental health. And if you struggle with anxiety, depression, you're, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not weird. We've all been there. I got so bad in college that I was actually planning, on, planning my suicide. I mean, we've all been there. And then after years of counseling, it, it, it's almost like, like a lot of people do, I course corrected too much. I walled up. I wouldn't tell anybody anything about anything. I had to look perfect. I had to be successful. I could never let them see me cry. And that led to horrible obsessive compulsive disorder, which I'm still working through. So be vulnerable. Be vulnerable to God. Gosh, I mean, and I know because everybody in here I have a good relationship with. Some of you ball when you talk to God. I've been there. I've been so mad at God that I was screaming once or twice. Be vulnerable with God. Be vulnerable with your accountability partner 
And one of the great ways to do that, one of the great ways to witness, one of the great ways to hold yourself accountable is to share your story. Why do you want to be held accountable? Why do you want to improve? Why do you love Jesus so much? You don't need to be a Bible scholar. Just know what your why is. Number four, take a risk. Again, back to comfortable Christianity. Gosh, it's hard to start a conversation about faith. It's hard to tell somebody you don't have everything all together. It's difficult to do some of these things. I shared this at um, last month's uh, Courageously Christian event. Again, I'm fairly out there and I'm fairly bold, but Jay English, who's an inner city pastor in Illinois, told me to try this, and I put it off for about a year and a half, but we were at McDonald's, and my my wife and kids were were sitting down there, and again, every conversation he ends with, how can I pray for you today? Every conversation he does that. I've never done that once. But I wanted to hold myself accountable for trying it. It's like a, whatever she is, middle-aged woman, looks like she's had a really hard life and, you know, screwing up my order or whatever else. Anything else? <sighs> Heart rate going, yeah. And I think I stumbled and my mouth was dry, but I did it. How can I pray for you today? And she answered. I'm not going to tell you what she said because I think that should be between the two of us, but she answered. Nobody will ever get offended when you ask that question, and everybody's going to have an answer. What a great way to witness to somebody. Take a risk today. Take a risk tomorrow. Take a risk every day for the rest of your life. Because as we know, when it comes to the world of financing, without, great, without any risk, there can be no reward. I want to make a 30% rate of return, but I don't want to lose any money. Unless it's a Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme, that ain't going to happen. The same is true with your faith. Take a risk. Number five, accountability is a two-way street. Some of us may take the the, the step of saying, okay, God, I want you to hold me accountable. Okay, trusted partner, I want you to hold me accountable. And then you say, great, it's on them now. It's on God now. It's on my friend now. Uh Uh-uh, doesn't work that way. We still got to show up. We still got to give it our best. We still got to give it our all. If we're serious about this accountability, we need to show up each and every day. And again, showing up looks different for everybody. But don't just say, well, I passed the buck. Now it's all on him. No, 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 no. We still have to do our part. Give the other person room to say no. This is more, I mean, God's never going to say no to us. God might be more of a not yet kind of a thing, but not really a no. If I want a spiritual accountability partner and I go to Rob here and I say, hey, Rob, you know, I really want to take this seriously. Would you help me? That's a big ask you're making. And if it's the right person, they're going to go through this discernment process and take that very seriously. And I might get a no from Rob, and that should be okay. Because maybe I'm not equipped. Maybe I don't have the time. Maybe I'm not ready. It's okay. I'm not going to force it on him, or I'm not going to force it on you. If the other person says no, that could actually be an okay, good thing. Because they, they, for whatever reason, don't feel that they can give you whatever you want. The last two, never take your foot off the gas. Boy, I've been... I've been in this situation a lot, too. It's like the Newton's law of movement or whatever. I'm not smart enough to remember what that is. But it's almost like an object in motion stays in motion. An object at rest tends to stay at rest. So you could be going really, really good for three weeks. I'm going to take two weeks off. It might be hard to get back after it again if you take two weeks off. That's not to say you don't rest. It's not to say you don't recharge. Not to say you don't take a vacation. But when it comes to your spiritual accountability, how many of us know the day we're going to be called to our heavenly home? The minute, the hour, there's none. I might drop dead during this talk. That'd be a way to ruin your Wednesday. (laughs) But you never know. So one of the worst things are, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do it later. 
I'll start it next week. I mean, could you imagine if, if today's my last day on earth and I'm faced with my heavenly father, which we're all going to have. You're all going to have that final exit interview in the sky. You're ready for it. It's going to happen. And if God says, what did you do to tend my sheep? What did you do to feed my flock? And if I say, nothing because I was busy with the kids' soccer practice. Nothing. I didn't want to end up in Facebook jail. Those are going to be tough conversations to have. I don't want that for me, and I don't want that for you. So never take your foot off the gas. Lastly, ask for grace. We're going to screw up. There's going to be that opportunity. I'm at McDonald's. My knees are knocking. My heart is pounding. I want to ask her. And I go, nah, I'll do it tomorrow. It's okay. It's okay. It's going to happen. We are sinful people. We make mistakes. We fall short. But ask for grace. Don't beat yourself up. Take it from a recovering workaholic and perfectionist where we are all going to make mistakes. Ask grace for God, but then also ask grace from wherever your accountability partner is. That's another nice thing about this group. We give each other grace. We love each other. We support each other and encourage each other. So I would say these are the eight ways that I would say to hold yourself accountable. And as I get ready to wrap up, next slide. Just because it works for me doesn't mean necessarily that it's going to work for you. And, and I still do put way too much pressure on myself. Like accountability for me has never been a problem. My parents like to say they never had to ground me because I ground myself. My, my, parents never, my parents never had to ask if I did my homework because if I got an A minus, I'd cry for a week. Like, like I, I'm, on the, I'm on the way other side. I actually got to come back a little bit. But one of the things that I'm in the habit of now from a spiritual accountability perspective, before I get angry, before I point fingers, before I get mad, be it any of those things that I talked about, mainstream media, atheists, politicians, stuff going on in society, this is the question I always ask myself before I have any kind of an emotional reaction. What did I do to prevent this today? Now sometimes the answer is I couldn't have done anything. And maybe that's true. A mass shooting or a, 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 a drag, bingo at a church or whatever, anything that would make me mad. What did I do to prevent it? Maybe I couldn't have touched those lives specifically, but what am I doing right now to make sure that doesn't happen in my sphere? And if I don't have a good answer, that is like a bucket of cold water in my face. Okay, time to act. I don't like my answer. Who am I going to talk to? What am I going to do? What information am I going to share? Where do I go from here? Need a trade show display? A lobby renovation? Heck, how about help with an event that you're hosting? Captivate Exhibits can do it all. Plus, they're an outspoken faith-based organization that puts Christ first in all that they do. Ready to captivate the attention of the masses? Then check them out today at CaptivateExhibits.com. That's CaptivateExhibits.com. Thank you for joining us on the C-Suite for Christ podcast. People everywhere are thirsting for Christ. Our goal is to cover the world in Christ using hope, encouragement, and God's nourishing words. We hope you'll join us. Please visit csuiteforchrist.com and come back soon for more conversations centered around God's endless love for us all. I saw you in my dreams before I came here. I will keep you in my dreams when I leave here.
look at you You're like one of a kind And my eyes light up when I think about you I won't forget you